Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Brent Pasqua, host and founder of RPA Wealth Management, and I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner. Also, as always, Joshua Wintersyke, certified financial planner. We got the band back together. Excited to be here. I think we got a great topic on on deck today, and today we're going to talk about business valuations. And did you know that only two percent of business owners actually know what their business is worth? Uh, I think it it leads into a lot of conversations about why people should get evaluation if they are a business owner. As we get started, you know we have some cases that are increasing in California. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. It's been pretty bad here for a while. So what are you guys doing to keep sort of busy and keep active and keep positive thoughts as we kind of go through this kind of tougher period? I just kind of do my own thing. Um, you know, like I mentioned on one of the previous pods, uh, my wife and I were blessed enough to be able to buy a home in December. So we've just been kind of hanging there. Um, I really want to go to Costco, but I'm too scared to go. Um, I have gone to a Home Depot, but just because like I, I, I had to, I needed things for the home. Uh, but again, that place is a, a little scary as well. Um, so we, we basically just stay in and walk around the neighborhood. Yeah, I've uh, we've been really safe. Uh, my wife works in the hospital, so you know, we try to take all of the right precautions. Um, but, you know, when she's working, which she's been working a lot, I, I try to get out on the golf course still. I know we talked a lot about that last year and that uh, that hobby's continued. Still really enjoying it. But then, you know, when my wife is off, we try to do things with our dogs, walks. Well, we've taken them to the dog beach a couple times, which is really fun. That's still open. Um, and then just the normal stuff, grocery stores and, you know, watching, catching up on TV shows we've missed. Yeah, I feel like outdoor, it's so nice just to be outside. You know, we got good weather still out here. I'm always trying to do stuff with the kids, whether it's, you know, a random trip to get ice cream or something that they just enjoy. I mean, it makes their day better and gives them something to look forward to. So I like surprising them. I think that's always fun. Yeah, that's cool. Can I, can I add something real quick on this? Um, anyone listening? I, I think the three of us know quite a few people who have had, had the vaccine and you know, go get it. Definitely go get it. It seems it. We don't know anybody who's had an adverse reaction. I say we probably know at least twenty to thirty people who've had the vaccine. Go get it. Let's get this coronavirus over with. If if your number's called, go. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. Yeah, it's definitely the means to the end, and I'm ready for this to be over. Absolutely. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Let's hear the latest hot takes on some recent news items. Uh, let's get to the headlines. Uh, the presidential inauguration is now over. Thank goodness. Joe Biden is the 46th president. I think that was such just a wild time that I think all of us are glad that that whole kind of thing is over with. The stock market is surging. Really, let's talk about kind of what's going on. So if we think about, we, we ran some data on what the market returns were from the time that our president was elected to the time that they were inaugurated. If we pull back some of them, let's go back to George W. Bush in 2004. The S&P 500 from the time that he was elected, the time that he was into inauguration was 3.97%. In 2008, Barack Obama, which, you know, he took over a massive decline that was happening in the market. The financial crisis, it went down 19.94%. So pretty dramatic. In his second term in 2012, the S&P went up from that November time period until January, 4%. And then surprisingly enough, under Trump, it was up 6%, which, you know, if I thought back, I would have assumed it was a little bit higher just thinking about kind of that period of what happened. But then in this, this last year, in 2020, from November 3rd until January 20th, the market was up 14.33%. What's sort of going on here? What does this actually mean? Absolutely ripping, huh? 
I don't want us to, you know, take victory laps, but we did quite a few podcasts uh, talking about this. You know, we were saying how it doesn't really matter who the president is. It's more about how the economy is doing. The economy is really strong. Historically, Democrats have actually been better for the stock market. So, you know, all the stock market participants at this point, the big money, they know that. So they're investing. They're happy Joe Biden's in. Um, it's, it's good for the economy. And I also just think that, you know, it, we put a lot of emphasis on tax rates and regulations, but, you know, obviously that isn't one of the biggest drivers in the market. And I think we always tend to go to those two topics, but there's a lot more um, variables that reflect these, you know, returns. And, um, you know, I'm glad you did say we could take a little bit of a victory lap because, you know, the market is just ripping. Yeah. And one, one final point, you, you made such a great point on the, you know, corporations and taxes. Like, okay, so maybe the Democrats are going to raise Amazon's taxes by 5%. That really doesn't matter that much. Amazon's going to find a way around that tax hike. So like these corporate tax cuts or hikes, they really don't have that big of an impact. as much as you know people think it's just really something that goes through on the news to get you to sit there and watch and listen and get angry all right so another big anticipated event that happened uh netflix reported earnings they have more than 200 million subscribers now they added 37 million new subscribers in 2020 recently raised the price of their uh subscription by a dollar in 2021 it will release a new feature film every week its more recent top shows are Queen's Gamut, Crown, Midnight Sky. So what are your thoughts of, you know, what's really started to take place with Netflix? Oh, it's just booming. It's a, you know, booming business. Um, I, I think it's really cool that Netflix is going to release a movie every uh, once a week this year. Uh, I feel like that's really going to get people, you know, sent down, firing up the Netflix. I, I could be wrong, but I believe their movies usually drop on uh thursday at like midnight so they're kind of there for you for friday saturday sunday the popular show you miss I, and this show is super popular is uh bridgerton i think it's called my wife watched that show and i i've heard from quite a few people that they've you know watched it multiple times it's so good that they really like it. it's like a a soap opera uh, more geared towards uh females but i guess it's been a big hit yeah i've heard that actually the same about that show i haven't watched it i don't think my wife's watched it either but um, that, I think that's on our watch list because I've just heard so many people talk about it. But pretty amazing. I mean, 200 million subscribers and, you know, they're projected just for more growth and they really take advantage of the stay at home orders. But hats off to Netflix for, for just doing a good job with more content. Um, I know we're subscribers. We watch it. We've enjoyed a lot of their shows through this period. Um, and, you know, the, the whole subscription industry is just doing really well right now because of the times. But at least it is something to look forward to with all of these movies, like you said, coming out this year, one, one a week. Just like an, another point, too, a lot of, I know we don't talk about stock a lot, but everyone's always been bearish on Netflix, especially with all the different streaming services coming. So that was kind of the consensus view, right? Like, oh, Apple TV is going to beat them or Disney Plus is going to beat them. Just wait till HBO gets a better streaming offer and they're going to beat Netflix. And, you know, Netflix is still beating all those companies. So, again, the consensus view is wrong. It's not like real competition to them. No, not at all. I mean, and this is international too. Netflix is everywhere. But anyways, uh, final point I'll make is it's kind of becoming with a Netflix subscription, like not having cable TV in the 90s. Like, it's just kind of weird if you don't have one. Yeah, it's interesting that you see, if you look at the trajectory of their increase in sub- of subscribers and usage and now cash flow, 
you know, their company is like a rocket ship. You know, and after they reported earnings, I think the next day their stock price was up 16%. Yeah, and all the Hollywood talent wants to work with them. And why? Because they treat them good. So, I mean, there's a life lesson for you. Treat people good, they'll want to work with you. And just their growth internationally, I mean, is, is now more than their domestic growth. So, I mean, just putting out more content for the world and seeing all of these subscribers, even with their price increase of a dollar, um, good for them. Their international content's great, too. Highly recommend it. Haley and I watched La Casa de Papel. They, they dub it in English if you want to listen to the English version, but we watched the Spanish version. Uh, incredible show. It's like five seasons, so we were reading subtitles for, you know. Five seasons, 30 episodes, or however many it was. I need to get watching, man. I'm behind on a couple of these. (laughs) Now that we've warmed up with some hot ticks, let's go to the Retirement Planning Corner and see what's on the docket for today. All right, let's get in the Retirement Planning Corner. Today, let's talk about some business valuation stuff. Matt, you want to turn around and ask some questions? Yeah, Brent. Actually, we're going to take the host seat from you today, and Josh and I are going to ask you some questions. Um, You work with a ton of clients who are business owners, and um, you specialize in exit planning. So we thought today's topic, it would be a really good opportunity for you to explain to our our listeners why getting a business valuation is important. So we'll start by... um, you know, just give us kind of a, a, a wrap up. What, why should a business owner listen to this podcast? Well, first, it's really surprising that such a low percentage of all business owners actually know what their business is worth. For most people, owning a business, I mean, it's probably your largest asset that you own, and you don't even know what it's worth. You can't really grow your business in a true fashion unless you actually know what you're working with. And to know what you're working with, you got to know what your value is. Because you know, your value is driven based off of different factors within your business. And so how can you say, well, I can really grow my business if you don't really know what it's actually worth and what your weakness and strengths are? Now, you may be able to look at some of your numbers and say, here's my weakness and strengths. But to set a foundation really of the business value is so critical. It's such a, an important factor uh, to really get the business growing. I think a lot of business owners um, you know, measure their business results as maybe, hey, I'm growing my income or I'm adding employees instead of I'm growing and increasing my business valuation. So real interesting point. Um, let's, let's jump into the five, um, five reasons why it's important. How does it give owners a starting line? So if you're a business owner, I mean, at some point, you're going to want to sell it, right? I mean, there's really kind of only a couple of options. You either walk away from your business or you're going to sell it. And there's multiple ways that we've talked about in the podcast that you could sell your business. But if you're going to sell it, uh, chances are that you're going to need to get a certain amount of money from the business in order to retire or make that next transition into that next chapter of life. So it really gives you a starting point of what your business is now worth. And if you have goals built for that next objective or that next chapter of life, now it really puts a starting point of where you are to where you're actually going to need to go. And you know, from a, a financial plan standpoint, and you guys could talk about this for a second as well. If you're doing a financial plan for a business owner, how do you put the business value in there to their plan if you don't know what the business is worth? Like you could just put a placeholder there. It's a guess. And that's the 98% of business owners we talked about that's never had a valuation done, right? And it's just kind of crazy that there's over, you know, 30 million different small businesses across the US and, you know, really we're only talking about 2% of them actually knowing that value and not guessing putting that value into their finan- personal financial plan, which that's a for the most part, for most business owners, probably their biggest asset is their business. And not to know that value makes it really, really hard to do personal financial planning without knowing the value of your biggest asset. 
So basically what you're saying is you can't, as a business owner, do proper personal financial planning properly because you don't know what your business is worth. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest point. All right. Well, let's move on to number two, Brent. I'm testing your exit objectives. So testing your uh, exit objectives is really important. So when you start to know your personal financial structure, you can start to test whether that amount that you may receive from your business when you sell it is enough. And what you can now start to build off of is if you're going to need, let's say, $2 million from your business for the time that you retire, and currently you know that your business is only worth a million dollars, you can start to test actually how long is it going to take to grow to that amount if you're actually going to need that $2 million mark, and what all the ways that it's going to take to really start to get you there, how long will it take to make it worth what you need it? I mean, that's such a factor, right? You can now set a time frame on either retirement or that next chapter of, is it going to take me five years to get to the point where I need it to be? Is it going to take me 10 years? And then, you know, you could start to build reports to see if my business is worth a million now, how much is it going to increase each year and how long is it going to take me to get it really where I need it to be? And, you know, don't forget about the potential tax hit. If you need two to three million from your business in retirement, then you probably got to grow your business to at least, you know, a seven million dollar value to kind of extract that after tax money that you need. And I, I guess a question for, you know, you guys that work with business owners is, you know, if, if you knew or if any of you personally, if you knew your business was worth enough right now to retire, would you retire? Probably. I mean, you know, I, that's one of, if that is your goal eventually to retire, and now you know you have enough resources and enough net worth to retire to support your lifestyle, I mean, what other reason would you continue still working? You know, just for the pure joy of it, but financially, if you're financially free, I mean, that's what we're looking to achieve, and now you can retire, then I would definitely be considering that option if I knew that calculation. I, a lot of business owners um, also, uh, still work because of them, their employees. You know, they've had dedicated, we hear that all the time from business. We have employees that have been with us 30 years where just, we can't walk away from them. This really allows you to start putting things in place. So when your exit strategy begins, they're really taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, what I think happens to a lot of business owners is, you know, maybe sometime in their 40s or 50s, they'll get an offer from a bigger firm that kind of blows them away and they're just not sure what their business is worth. They'll take that offer, they'll go retire for two years, they'll get bored, and then they go start another business or, you know, do other investments. All right, um, let's move on to number three. Um, how does a business valuation provide that essential information that an owner needs to know? I think one area that it starts to be helpful for business owners is it really allows them to know what they're going to receive as sort of their net amount from, the invest, from their business. Because if you think about it, you think your business is worth two million? Let me tell you something. Chances are you're not walking away with two million. You've got taxes, you've got uh, costs that are going to go into selling the business. There's uh, a tremendous amount of factors that are going to be involved in selling it. And so, what you think you may be receiving isn't always what you're going to net out of it. And what you don't probably want to do is be in the last three to five years of your business ownership, and then come to realize that you're not going to get exactly what you thought you were from the business, just based on what it was worth. So if only 2% of all business owners know what their business is actually worth, how many percentage of those actually know what they're going to get from their business? Probably very small. And I guess I jumped the gun talking about taxes, um, but so well put, Brent. And then, you know, we did the exit 
um, objectives podcast, the eight ways to sell your business. And there's so many different ways to sell your business. Likely you might end up, if your business is big enough, you know, 10 million or more, you're probably going to end up using at least two or three of those strategies. And they all have different tax implications. And you're just not scrambling. Like the earlier you start not only getting your valuation, and we just talked about so many things, it's selling the business, the tax implication, your employees, the earlier you plan for this, the better you're going to have a clear picture of the future and helping you make better decisions about the business and to avoid situations like you talked about, which is I sold my business and I'm back in the business or working again in two years, right? Because a lot of times you're forced to make that decision because you got an offer and we really didn't plan for the future. So just very important. Um, Jump into number four. How does a business valuation, Brent, provide you a critical litmus test? I think one of the areas that's really important that you get out of valuation is it's going to give you a lot of criteria that is able to stack up your business versus other businesses in your same industry. But one of the things that we've learned a lot from is working with brokers who do and, and, and business bankers who do uh, mergers and acquisition is that there's these critical factors that drive the value of your business. We call them value drivers. And if you start to learn as you do a, a business valuation, what is making your business worth what it is and what's going to make it worth more, you can start to really focus ahead of time on increasing the value of your business by strengthening those different areas. Yeah, I think and I'm going to give an interesting example with our industry, um, the financial advice. When we went through our business valuation process, we learned that actually having more clients doesn't actually make your business more valuable. It actually could make it less valuable, which is kind of counterintuitive to how you would think. So as you work through you know, your own business valuation, maybe you only have a couple clients and one of those clients makes up 75% of your revenue. Well, I got news for you. Your business probably isn't worth as much as you think. Yeah. And, and every industry is so different because if you look at valuations on other businesses, you know, if you have a client that makes up, let's say 25% of your company's overall revenue, chances are the value of your business is going to be significantly less because what happens if that one client leaves? You know, this, these examples can be used across all industries in different ways, but it's such a critical factor to know these value drivers in your business. Yeah. And that, and that, to me, what I hear as well is there is risk with not knowing, right? And there's risk without taking a deeper dive and getting evaluation. If we're protecting risk, if you have partners or co-owners too, there's more risk there. And so how do you really have a good buy-sell agreement? And you can talk more about this, Brent, but without having an accurate value of what the business is worth. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we get most people that are motivated on when they come to us is they want to protect their business. I mean, you know, just looking at our own business, you have passwords to your computer, passwords to your software, keys, things that need to go in certain places. Something happened to you and you're a business owner. Can your wife or spouse or husband get into your business or your kids and run it and take it over? Or is it just going to be a fire sale? And chances are, unless you have spent a lot of time on buy sales, continuity plans, uh, it's going to be a very challenging transition if something were to happen. And in the COVID world we live in, I have to imagine some of the number of these people that have passed away are business owners. And it's sad. And and it provides another obstacle for business owners to have to get over. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, let's move on to number five. How does a business valuation help an owner with incentive planning? 
I think that's a really good question and something that we've established here and we've worked on with a lot of different clients of ours. Um, it provides you good information on really establishing who your key employees are, right? You need to know who's important to your business. And if you know that they're important to your business, you need to keep them. But also, if you're going to be selling your business, you're going to need to keep them through the sale of your business and for a couple years beyond. And so you could start to build incentive plans around those key employees to keep those people intact. And also, you want to take care of them. But at the same time, you don't want to lose value of your business because you didn't take care of some key employees who, once they found out you were going to sell your business, decided to jump ship to a competitor. And, and take stuff that, you know, maybe you lost some customers in that transaction, you know, that could, that could provide a lot of challenge to an owner transitioning. So it is important to start creating these incentive plans around key employees. You know who figured this out really well is actually the, the technology industry, right? Because like you're doing a tech startup and, you know, maybe you hire your first 10 employees or something after you get your initial money in the door. Well, they're offering all of them some sort of stock option, stock-based compensation plan to keep them tied to the business. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a manufacturing business or a, um, you know, a, a deli, a tire shop, an alcohol shop, whatever it is, you should be offering some sort of incentive to your top employees to tie them to your business. And not only that, maybe one day they'll be there to take over your business and you could sell it to them. And they feel like they have ownership, right? That's why these people are so proud to work for these tech companies. And, you know, they just have really, really good culture because they are a team, right? They're all part of this journey together. And, and just relating it to, to valuation, I mean, for, for them to be able to offer ownership or incentive plans, they had to have a valuation done. And that just helps you out in so many more aspects of the business. You know, it, it's just really, really positive. And that's a really great place to start. Yeah. And I think one thing that shouldn't get lost in incentive plans is not to assume that you're putting an incentive in plan in place to do a third party sale. The incentive plan could be built that you're doing an internal transfer to key employees and you're selling the business to employees. And that's why you're putting that incentive plan in place. So there's a lot of objectives that it can solve. It's not, you know, you just do incentive plans for third party sales to keep them. This could be all implemented to start to transition ownership to key employees. Great point. Brent, to uh, wrap up today's show, what are some important points business owners should consider? Well, I think the first thing that they should consider is really starting to do evaluation. And I think it should be done at least yearly or every other year, depending on what stage that they're at in the business. But from what I've learned doing our valuation, I think we were probably, what, Matt, three years in when I first did the valuation? Yeah, it was probably three or four years ago. Yeah. So when I first, the, the biggest thing that I learned is that to really drive the value of our business up, I had to be replaceable. You need to make sure that you're not the only one in the business that knows how to do everything or that controls the business. And you know, if you're closer to retirement, you need to, to be able to transition out of the business. That's what it had taught me. But it also has led to so many other aspects. Like you know, if you want to do a partnership with a key employee, you have to know what your business is worth. You got to put a number on it. It's got to be legitimate so that someone's going to buy it. In order to truly sell your business, there has to be a buyer on the other end. And to do that, you know, you have to take those critical steps to really to build the value in it. It's time for RPA Recommends. You want to jump into the recommends? Yeah. So one of the, the best parts of the show is, you know, really transitioning to doing our RPA Recommends. And Josh, why don't you kick us off today? RPA recommends. I thought about this this morning about what my recommends was going to be. 
And um, I got, I don't know if you guys have given this recommend before, but I got a new knife for Christmas. Oh, nice. Yeah. And game changer. Obviously at home, cooking a lot, and just had these knives, hand-me-down knives that I've used for a while. Never really like spent the money to buy like a nice knife. And uh, my cousin gifted me a knife, and I went out like even the, a week later and bought like the matching knife to the knife he got me. Just really nice and makes cooking even more enjoyable. I already enjoy cooking just kind of as a stress reliever, and um, I like to eat. But um, if you don't have a really good knife that you love, I would recommend going out and getting one because uh, it really has made the cooking experience even better. I agree. I'm a big uh, high-end knife um, cooking guy. Uh, I knew you'd love this. Yeah, I'll uh, (laughs) I'll recommend people looking into Japanese knives. They're really great. And then I know um, there's a couple German companies that make some really nice knives as well. Yeah, mine's called, mine's Japanese, I think. It's Chang Shan. Have you heard of that? Uh, no, but that sounds Japanese. Yeah, it, it, I think it is, but that, that's the one I, I was gifted, and I got a couple more now after that, and really love it. One point two I'll make is it's actually more dangerous to cook with a, a really bad knife than it is to cook with a really nice knife with a sharp blade. A lot of people don't realize that, but you're just not going to be able to you know, cut through what you're trying to cut through with a poor, dull knife, essentially. Sure. More, more error. Yep, well, a lot more room for error. Yeah, you're pushing down, next thing you know, your finger's right there. And- yep. Yeah, not good. What do you have for us today? All right. Um, so new homeowner, like like I've been talking about, this will be my theme for a while. Um, you get a new home, it's a big upgrade in square footage for us. So you got to keep it clean. So uh, my wife Haley ordered um, on Amazon, you could get a box of microfiber cloths. And we use those to clean everything now. We throw them in the wash when we're done. We wash them, we dry them, fold them up, and, and put them back in. It is a great buy for $12. I think there's 100 wipes in there. But we used to use paper towels to clean our apartment, which was just really inefficient. Um, so microfiber. I know you're big on microfiber, Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you recommend this before? <laughs> no, no. I've never recommended it before. But I'm big on the microfiber cloth. The only thing I have to say about microfiber is that they're they're not as absorbent, but they're like really good for cleaning, detailed cleaning, stuff like that. But they wash pretty well. Yeah. Um, but I'm a big fan of them. I use them like for everything. Like my wife makes fun of me because I'm just like always pulling out a new microfiber to, to clean up or do anything with them. Yeah. Since, since we've had these at our house, so we've had people coming over and stuff to see it and uh my sister-in-law and my mom have both gone on the amazon and bought our microfiber nice. cloths. i have yeah. a question for you have you cleaned your golf clubs with them no but <laughs> i you know i'm just not playing as much i need to uh i, I need to clean them there's no grass on them <laughs> uh my recommend is uh something that we had talked about podcast ago was uh, my uh, enjoyment of watching Flav City, Bobby Parrish on Instagram and social media, watching him cook. I mean, it's kind of led me into to cooking. So he just came out with his five-ingredient cookbook. And if you're like me, like I, I really don't want to spend a couple hours in the kitchen prepping a meal that you know, you're going to eat in 15 minutes. And I don't, you know, the faster, the, l- the less ingredients there are, the, you know, the faster you're going to be able to get it done. He came out with the five ingredient. I've cooked some of the meals. It is absolutely amazing. Simple to do. I think I recommend it to everybody. If you want to get quick meals, it's you know not a lot of prep work. It gets done fast. Thought it was an awesome idea as, you know, our gener- for our generation too. Have you recommended Flav City before? 
Yeah, but it was a it was a while ago. ago. So yeah. he he has like a, a blog, right? Like a website, and then he has an Instagram pitch, and that's it's called Flav City, right? Yeah, and he has YouTube, and then he has a cookbook that he had launched, I think, last year, and then that was a much longer one where there was a lot more steps in it. But this is like the very simple, basic one. Awesome. Yeah, you told me about his Instagram page. I've been following him for a while, and he has good Instagram videos. So I'm sure the the book's good. I might, have to, I might have to get that. Actually, we got some feedback that a lot of um, our, our listeners did like the original Flav City recommendation a while ago and learned a lot, especially from his shopping videos when he goes to the stores. Those, yep. are, those are pretty neat. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, those his Costco trips tells you what's good and bad. Yeah, yeah. so I'll have to take, take down that cookbook. I'll buy it after the show. Yeah. Good recommend. I'll have to, uh, maybe we could reach out to him and get a sponsorship since we give him so much plugs on the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be Come great. on, Flav. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're trying to get a podcast sponsor in 2021. <laughs> you know, the other day from a, a business owner client, they told me after I was doing some planning with them, we got their valuation done. They said, you know, I've never felt so comfortable and so relaxed with where we're going financially and where our business is uh, than I do right now. And, and as an advisor, really, that's the the greatest real compliment that you can get out of all of this. And that's why we do what we do. So if you'd like to schedule an appointment or with any of us, or you have any questions, you know, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can also download our ebook from our website. If you'd like the show notes, please go to the retirementplanplaybook.com. As always, thank you for listening to Retirement Plan Playbook. Thank you guys. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.